0: to sing. sing. (laughs) That'd be good. Well, you your Bible's over to the book of 2 Kings, if you will, chapter number 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Thankful to be back with you tonight. Had a wonderful time all week long, and I really do appreciate being able to come down and be with you. Appreciate your pastor so much. He's one of our people's favorite preachers. Uh, he really is I, I, I was hoping to say that before he got back in here so he wouldn't hear that but our people love Brother, brother Clint and loves having him up and so I appreciate him a good, good friend of mine yeah, I, I, I've had the easy job all week you've had the hard job of sitting and listening to me uh, but I uh, will be heading back tomorrow evening Lord willing, tomorrow night after service and uh, then Clint and I Uh, We'll be heading to West Virginia Monday, uh, going for a conference up there in my old stomping grounds. That's where I'm from, and uh, so I'm looking forward to that conference also. So I'll be up there Monday through, you'll come back Wednesday. Uh, I'll be up there Monday through Thursday because I have to preach there Wednesday night. Uh, But it's a great conference, you always have a good time, a lot of good speakers there. And then there's me and Clint, right? Yep. <laughs> so, But uh, we're looking forward to that conference. Now, I, I, I'm going to tell you this story since I mentioned it. And I forgot to tell you the story last night because I know you're curious of how and why I blew up a barn. Uh, but uh, this is a good object lesson for our young folks here. Make sure you do your chores. Do what your mama tells you. And uh, you won't get into trouble the way that I did. But the true story, uh, when I was a kid in the hills of West Virginia, of course, mommy and daddy raised 10 of us. It was five boys, five girls. I was the baby boy. I had a, a sister younger than me. Uh, but uh, I learned how to take a lot of good beatings being the youngest of 10, the youngest boy out of 10 kids. But part of my job, we, we lived right on the edge of the state forest, uh, we built a new home there. Uh, anybody remember the Jim Walter Home Company? That's what we built a Jim Walter home on an old place that had been our free, family for generations, all coal miners, you know. And but we built a new home there, and Daddy just had built this new. We called it a pole barn, just temporary uh, barn. He had a blacksmith shop in the end of it. He had closed in Daddy was a blacksmith also. And part of my job, we had to burn. I had to burn trash, or took turns burning trash, but it had to be my job that day. Uh, we didn't have uh, garbage service. You, you burned your trash and everybody had family trash dumps and stuff like that wherever they were at. But we had, the door was you had to, when you burned the trash you had to sit there until that thing burned out because it was right on the edge of the state forest. And uh, well, around the ridge from us, uh, they, had dri- they had dozed off a flat spot to drill a gas well. Anything flat in that part of the country was gold. Uh, all of us boys made that a football field. My cousins, there was, lived down the road from us, there were 18 of them in that family, my dad's sister, the whole clan of us. And so they were out there playing football on this field, and I could hear them. Now, it's about a, almost a mile if you walk the road, but if you go across the hollow, you'd be there in no time. Uh, anyway, I was in there, set fires mad because I couldn't go play football, I had to burn the trash, and I was sitting there, and I struck a match to it, and I could hear them were playing and having a good time. It was more than this little boy could stand. Uh, and so I took down across that hollow while the trash was burning and to go play football. And while I was over there, some wind picked up and threw up a piece of that paper into the barn. Well, I, unbeknownst to me, the Gaswell people had asked Daddy if they could store some dynamite that night in a blacksmith shop, 16 sticks of dynamite, caps in them and everything. And uh, well, I was over there playing football with my cousins and my brothers, and all of a sudden the ground just, went, just trembled. And I looked back toward the house and I saw this mushroom cloud. It looked just like one of these atomic bombs going on and 10 flying everywhere. And I, 16 sticks of dynamite makes a big bang. And I heard this blood curdling scream. My mama thought I was in the barn, so she was sure I was blown up in the barn. And uh, my brother said, uh, you've got to go home. Tell her you're still alive. I said, no, I, I'm not going home. I, I said, you tell her I'm still alive, uh, but I'm not coming back home. I know she'll beat me to death. It blew the back windows out of the house, brand new house. Uh, blew up some hound dog pups that was there. My daddy just had, took out his prize show horse. We used to ride him in shows all the time. I had staked him out and let him pick didn't have the fencing up yet. So fortunately, it didn't blow up Cajun. Uh, but it's a pretty big hole. Uh, anyway, I stayed out. I, I don't know how. I can't remember how old I was. 10, 12 years old, something like that. Stayed out until I got too scared of the dark and I decided to go back home. She waited till I got in the bedroom on dress, got under the covers, and then she come in, commenced to beating on me. And, and crying at the same time. I thought you were dead. I thought I'm going to be, if <laughs> you don't I mean, But uh, to this day, you can walk into a field. My sister lives in the old home place. You can walk out in the field, and you'll, you'll sunk your toe on something, you think it's a rock. It's not. It's sheets of tin, and it's, they're been crumpled up to about that size, and it's scattered all over that hillside over there. Uh, so young people, do your chores. That's the story behind blowing the barn up. I still have flashbacks. I can still picture that mushroom cloud going up in that time. Alright, enough fools. Second Kings chapter number four is going to be my text tonight. Now, rather than rather than read a a long portion to you, let me let me just remind you of what's uh, going on in this uh, passage before I read part of my text. Uh, This chapter, of course, chronicles for us the death uh, of the son of a Shunammite woman. Now, if you go back and you read that whole chapter, uh, Elisha, the man of God, uh, came to a place called Shunamm. And the Bible says there he met a woman. that The Bible describes her as being a great woman. And she being the hospitable kind, you know, she invited the preacher home for supper with her and her husband. So we get from the text that that became a common occurrence. Every time Elisha was in Shunem, uh, he would go have dinner with this couple at their house. Well, one day the wife says to the husband, and I'm I'm just kind of paraphrasing what happened here. The wife says to the husband, said, now, this is a man of God, uh, and I, I want to take care of him. So I tell you what. Let's build him a little chamber, and let's put in our table and a chair and a bed for him to sleep in when he comes to visit. That well, way, he'll have a place to stay when he comes to visit. Well, that—that's. By the way, that's where you get the idea Have You heard of churches having prophets' chambers? Uh, that's. We got one at Faith Baptist. If you, uh, are, we have a three-bedroom apartment down stairs. Uh, preachers come, preach for us. they got a nice place to stay. Or uh, well, families traveling through. If you want to come up and see the ark, let me know. You, we're not far from the ark. You can stay in that three-bedroom apartment, free of charge. And uh, that's, We call it a prophet's chamber. That's where it came, comes from, from this chapter. Well, that, that's so blessed, Elisha, that he goes to the woman and, and, and he wants to do something for her. Uh, and he said maybe I can mention you to the king or maybe to the captain of the host in other words he gave her a chance to kind of step up move up in life and the Shunammite lady said no I'll stay with my people so Elisha goes to his servant Gehazi And he asked him about this woman, what he thought he could do for this woman. And Gehazi says, well, I know that she is married and and her husband is an older man. uh, And I know they don't have any children. So Elisha goes to the Shunammite woman and says, guess what? Now, he he really didn't say that, you understand, but that's the gist of it. He said, guess what? You're going to get pregnant, you're going to conceive, and, and you're going to have a little boy. Now, she responded the way... You would think she responds. She said, you're pulling my leg. You know, uh, this is not going to happen. Well, lo and behold, she does conceive. God does give her that which she most desired, which was a little boy. And we come to my text, and I want to start, and I want to show you what happened. Verse number 18 of the fourth chapter says "And when the child was grown... Uh, It fell fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee, So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Now, I take my thoughts from two verses tonight. In Verse 23, when he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. And then in verse 26, "Run right now I pray thee to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she says, he answered, It is well. Now, my my text, my subject may sound like a funny title but I've entitled it It Shall Be Well and It Is Well Uh, It Shall Be Well now listen to me my thought is simply this number one, it shall be well if you are a child of God uh, no matter what may happen in your life in the future you have the assurance it shall be well. You're on the winning side. Uh, We've got to stop acting like the victims these days. We are the victors. It doesn't matter what providentially might come into your life in the future, it shall be well. And it is well. If you're a child of the king, it doesn't matter what you're maybe going through currently in your life, you can have absolute confidence that it is well. You say, it shall be well and it is well. Now, I thought about this. It amazes me that this woman had the peace of mind, the peace of heart to to say what those two things, given the tragedy that she was going through. She was facing that which every parent fears the most, and that is the death of her child. And yet she said, it shall be well and it is well. I thought about this. When she said, it shall be well, I think she meant that she has absolute confidence in the promises of God. And when she says, it is well, she has absolute contentment with the providence of God, whatever God brought into her life at that time. And I'm going to tell you, that teaches us two important lessons. Folks, number one, you you should always have confidence in what God has promised, right? Number two, you should always be content in what God's providence has brought into your life. It shall be well, and it is well. Now, I, I, I will admit to you, That is a whole lot easier for me to say than to practice sometimes. I wish I could stand here and tell you I practice that every time something bad happens in my life. uh, But unfortunately, I'm a gigantic failure many times in that regard, you know. To say, regardless of what happens, I'm going to have confidence in what God has promised. I'm going to be content that whatever God's providence brings into my life. You see, see, it's easy for me to look at you and criticize the way you act if bad stuff happens in your life. I don't like looking at myself. Warren Mearsby, he said one time, he said, listen, as soon as you are saved, you are enrolled in a great school. It is called the school of faith. And he said, in the school of faith, the Bible is our textbook and troubles in our life are the exams. He said, now, in regular school, we can study all we want and sometimes still fail the exams. Uh, But in the school of faith, it's only after you fail the exams that you really begin to learn the lessons. I like that. Listen, bad stuff is going to happen in your life. You might as well mark it down. Bad stuff is going to happen. We all have bad things happen in our life. We all have bad days. Some of us have bad weeks. Some of us have bad months. Some of us have bad years. But but bad stuff is going to happen. You mark it down. I read about this old boy came up on this Indian that was laying in the middle of the road one time had his ear pressed to the ground and, and, and the Indian said said Chevy pickup truck man driving truck with a German Shepherd in the front seat load of firewood on the back California license plate UBH 823 and the man said man that's amazing you can tell all that just by listening to the ground he said no truck ran over me about 30 minutes ago yeah <laughs> Sometimes it it feels like we've been hit by a truck, you know. (laughs) Bad stuff is going to happen in your life. Question is, do we have the confidence, you know, to be able to say, regardless of what happens, I know it, it shall be well, and it is well. I I, I automatically thought about the old Patriarch Job as I was putting this message together. Listen, I don't care what stuff happens in my life. I know I have not suffered near to the extent that the Patriarch Job did, you see. But listen, his trials, his suffering can teach us a lot of lessons. It it teaches us especially about the attack of Satan in our life. You understand, Satan pretty much had free reign with Job. He could do pretty much anything he wanted. There was nothing out of bounds with Satan except he could not take Job's life. That was the only thing that was out of bounds. Other than that, Job was, was fair game to the attacks of Satan. And listen, the attack was so bad, even though Satan was not allowed to kill him, I know from Job's own words that he wished Satan would have killed him. That's how bad it got. But we learn a lot about how the devil attacks us sometimes by studying what happened to Job. In fact, write these five things down. This is not my main message, but it goes along with it. Here's how the devil will attack you today. Number one, he attacked Job's faith. And, and what I mean by that is the devil went to the Lord and said, he said, hey, has, has, does Job fear God for not? I mean, Job only, he only trusts you because of all the good stuff that's happened in, your li- in his life. You've got a hedge about him, but I guarantee you, you remove that hedge, you touch all that he has, and Job will curse you to your fa- face. You see, sometimes, folks, the devil will attack you through your faith. He sure will. He will. He will many times attack us at our very core. And listen, any time the devil can get you to doubt God, he's won a great victory. Or any time the devil can get you to gripe and complain about your lot in life, complain what God has done, he's won a great victory. Any time you doubt the goodness of God in your life, the faithfulness of God in your life. The devil has attacked your faith, and he's won a great victory. So he attacked his faith first, and then secondly, he attacked his finances. I say that because the next thing the devil did is he hit Job in his pocketbook. Job was a wealthy man. He was a rich man. And in one fell swoop, Job lost everything that he had, you know. It amazes me how many times the devil can get a foothold in our lives because of that. Because of your money. Because of finances. As a matter of fact, I have dealt with more failures in marriages in my ministry, not so much because of marital infidelity as it is finances. Finances have destroyed uh, probably more marriages than infidelity has. The devil get a foothold in your life. he you get a foothold in your church. I've seen churches split over money, right? I've seen homes destroyed over money. So he attacked his faith. And then secondly, he attacked his finances. Thirdly, he attacked his family. In one fell swoop, Job lost all of his children. You know Now that has to be, uh, in my mind, the most devastating of them all. Uh, Parents should not have to bury their children. Children should bury their parents, you know. And I don't don't know that I could have handled that, but in one fell swoop, he lost all of his children, you see. Now listen, folks, the the devil will attack you sometimes through your family. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that one of the main targets of the devil today is our children. That's the way he attacks us. He, he'll do it either by deceit or by disaster or some form. But he will attack your children. So he attacks his family, and then next he attacks his flesh. I say that because uh, Job ended up with, covered with boils from the top of his head down to the sole of his feet. He was a miserable, miserable human being at that time, you know. Listen, some people think Christians... Uh, or to be immune from things like that. I got news flash for you. Not only they're not immune, it seems like they're more susceptible to it than anybody else. I've seen Christians suffer terrible disease. Don't believe these liars on TV that God doesn't want you ever to be sick. God wants everybody healthy, wealthy, and wise. God has a reason. For everything I've seen Christians suffer some terrible diseases. It's cancer. I, I hate cancer. Cancer took my mother, took all of her sisters, taken my one of my sisters. I hate cancer. Mom never smoked a cigarette in her life, never had a drink of alcohol in her life, but she died of cancer. Go figure, you know. I've seen Christians suffer with cancer heart disease, diabetes, and some diseases I cannot even pronounce, not only are you not immune from it, many times you're even more susceptible to it, it seems like. So he attacks his, his flesh. And then lastly, he attacked him through his friends. Job's friends became a source of misery in an already miserable situation. <laughs> you know. And that's something. My point is... The devil has not changed his mode of attack at all. You see? He attacks us still in much the same way. Bad stuff is going to happen in your life. Are you able to say that it shall be well and it is well? I'll tell you what you should not do. You should not get so down that you start turning your back on God. Do not run from him when you need him the most. In your life, do you have the peace? Do you have the confidence in in God's promises and contentment with God's providence? Whatever He brings into your life, to be able to say, It shall be well, and it is well. Now, let me divide this narrative, and that's really all it is. Let me divide this narrative, if I can, in, in three main ways. In the first place, I want you to hone in on the tragedy that she faced here in this town. I throw this in because I want you to understand, this is not your run-of-the-mill trial this woman is facing. I, I get down sometimes. My church members, they'll, they very often said to me, you know, it seems like you're always happy. They know I'm wound tighter than the top. I'm kind of hyper. They 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 have forbid me to drink coffee after one o'clock in the day. Uh, I get wound up, uh, and they laugh at me because I'm jittery. You know, all the time I'm pecking on stuff, and uh, I gotta have something to do. They buy me these little fidget things. You know, I've got them laid all my all over my desk, and I got I got uh, silly putty. They buy me silly putties by the little truckloads of them, I squeeze it all the time. Anyway, they say you're. You're always moving around, energetic, happy, nothing ever gets you down. That's not so. I'm the kind of fella that I'll get down one day over something silly. Maybe just having a bad day. Belinda gets up on the wrong side of the bed or something. I don't know. Uh, Or maybe somebody will say something I don't like. And it just grates on me. You You don't have that problem. Church member do something I don't like. You know. And I get down. And then I then I realize how silly that is. This, this was not one of those days for this woman. This woman faced what has to be the most tragic of circumstances for a parent, and that is the death of her little boy now listen to what it says again in verse 18 and when the child was grown it fell on a day that he went to, out to his father to the reapers and said unto his father my head my head and he said to the lad carry him to his mother and when he taken him, take him in brought him to his mother he sat on her knees till noon and then he died now I want you to get the right picture in your mind when King James says that when the child was grown does not mean he was a grown man matter of fact we know he was small enough to still sit on his mother's lap, you know. So he was, most commentators believe he was around five years old. He was not a baby anymore, but he was old enough, old big enough to go out to the fields with his father, you see. But imagine the love of a mother when holding her baby boy, her little boy in her arms. We don't know what happened to him. God speculate all kinds of things when he when he cried, my head, my head. They speculate aneurysm, heat stroke, all, all, all. it doesn't you know what it doesn't matter. It certainly doesn't matter to a mother who's holding her sick child in her arms and then watching him die. You know. That has to be one of the greatest tragedies that a parent can go through. And listen, folks, I can tell you, her status in life did not and could not prevent this tragedy. I point that out because even though she... The Bible says she was a great woman. Now, that, in other words, that was what other people said about her. She had had achieved uh, a a status in life, a rank in life. Other people looked up to her, you know. But I want to tell you something. Your status, your station in life, no matter what you achieve, will not prevent... Tragedies occurring in your life Amen. it will not do it she was a very prosperous woman uh, she was a woman of means she had the money evidently to build a, a an apartment for the man of God for the preacher so she she was she was a prosperous she was a prosperous woman she was a very prominent woman people people looked up to her you know she had what she had what most everybody Desires in this life right that is that is to be successful and to be thought well of to be held in high esteem that's what we pounded into our kids head for generations make money make your mark on the world and I will tell you not only does that not prevent tragedies it does not in any way shape or form prepare them for tragedies that's going to occur. So I want you to know her status did not prevent this tragedy, nor did her spirituality prevent this tragedy. Right. I mean, obviously she was a very, she was a godly woman. She was a spiritual person. She she had a desire to take care of the man of God. Some people say, you know... Well, God ought to keep his people from those tragedies. They ought to be protected. I got a new flag for you. Not only does that not mean you're not immune from them, that means you're even more vulnerable to tragedies in your life. Because you're a child of God. You say, well, that sounds awful. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Psalms said. Isn't that what the Bible says? They have many afflictions it says the Lord delivers them out of them all. yea all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution that's what the Bible says Jesus said in this world you shall you shall have tribulation somebody asked C.S. Lewis one time why Christians were made to suffer he said because they're the only ones that can handle it you know So it was not her her status didn't prevent that, her spirituality. And then number three, her service did not prevent this tragedy either. I mean, she, she went out of her way at her own expense, wanted to take care of the man of God. And yet, tragedy happened in her life. I know how we think. Because I think like this sometimes, but you can't help it; it's just natural. We think that God owes us some good stuff. Now we we won't admit that out loud, but we really think that sometimes. Because when something bad happens, we what's the first thing we say? Lord, why is this happening? I'm faithful to church. I work hard at church. I pay my tithes. I do this. I do that. Now, why is all this bad stuff happening in my life? We just automatically think that since we're doing so good, God owes us this stuff, you see. Now, God did bless her. God did bless her faithfulness. He, He gave her that which she desired the most, which was a little boy. And God will bless your faithfulness, folks. But don't think that God owes you. Listen, if you're serving Him for the good stuff that you can get, you're missing the point. You don't serve Him to get good stuff. You serve Him because you love Him. You serve Him because you want to honor Him. But do you get the picture that she faced the greatest tragedy of all? Indeed, her status in life, her spirituality, her service could prevent it. Number two, notice also, the trust that flourished. Now, I love these verses. Listen to verse uh, 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore would I go to him today? And it is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. I, I have confidence in the promises of God. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. My mind immediately goes to Abraham and Isaac because both Isaac and his Shunammite boy are miracle babies. And remember God told Abraham, Abraham, you take your son, your only son that you love, and you offer him as a butter offering to me. I can't. I can't imagine it. But Abraham did not offer one objection. He said, "Wait a minute! Wait, wait a minute! Time out!" <laughs> yeah. you, this is the boy you gave me, miraculously. Yeah. Let's let's talk about this. He didn't offer one more objection. He he took Isaac, and, and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes, if were it not for a note in the New Testament where Paul said that Abraham did this because he believed the promises of God so much, he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. I stumble with the whole idea if it were not for that. That Abraham had such confidence in the promises of God. It shall be well. Now, I like this part because I want you to notice first, under this hand, her curious response. Because to most people, the way she responded to the death of her son was odd. She didn't scream out to her husband. Now, I was, I was a good daddy. A good daddy is somebody when the children cry, you just, miraculously you don't hear them. I don't know what it was I never heard now if they continued to cry if they were sick Belinda would holler for me and I would get up then of course but I was I was good daddy I didn't hear babies cry uh, but she didn't when, when the child died she didn't scream out for her husband she didn't say honey her boy she took him laid him on the bed of the man of God shut the door and goes out Strange, isn't it? And then notice her courageous ride. I love this because she tells her husband, "You get one of the fellows. Go get this donkey for me. I'll use it our language and of the old English. I still feel so funny using that word, but uh, go get the donkey for me. Have him saddled up because I want to go to the man of God. Isn't that strange? She didn't even tell her husband that the boy's dead. She shuts the door, goes, gets, tells him, go get, get one of the servants, get a, get a donkey. I'm going to saddle up. I'm going to go to the man of God. And he said, you, how are you going to find the man of God? It's not Sabbath day. She said, it shall be well. And then she tells this servant, says, drive, go forward. Slack not thy riding for, thee, for me, except I bid thee. In other words, pour it on. Now, fellas, I've, I've ridden some mules in my time. We had mules. I told you my daddy never liked to use tractors. He used horse and plow, sometimes mule and plow. And, and, and I've ridden some mules in my time. They don't exactly go from zero to 60 in the blink of an eye. And they don't ride like a Cadillac. You ever watch Festus riding Ruth and Gunsmoke go bouncing down the road? That's riding a mule. And imagine what her neighbors may, must have thought when they saw them beating these mules, these donkeys, trying to get them to go fast. I wonder how many times they would holler out. They see this spectacle of this woman and her servant driving these mules, donkeys. And, and, and they say, is everything all right? How many times do you say, it shall be Well. It shall be with. I just picture that in my mind. Now, I tell you, in order for her to say that, she had to look past all her pain. Can to do it. She, I mean, my, my child has died. My world is turned upside down. I don't even know what to do. I'm not relying on my prosperity or my prominence, or my status, I go unto the man of God; it shall be well. What a picture that is! Amen. Lastly, notice the testimony that was formed. And I, I, I'm, I'm running out of time very quickly, but listen how I love how this thing ends up. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off said to Gehazi his servant, Behold yonder is that Shunammite. Run right now I pray thee to meet her and say unto her, it is, well, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And She said, It is well. It's well. I'm, I've got confidence in promises of God. I'm content with the providence of God in my life. It is well. Now, I, I'm not, certainly not an expert in this and feel like I'm the least qualified to say what I'm about to say. But I guarantee you, folks, if you draw nigh to God, he'll give you the peace and the assurance to be able to say, no matter what happens, it shall be well and it is well. How many of you all have heard the story? I'm going to tell it again if you've heard it, but uh, heard, I, I know, Brother Clint, you have heard this. You may have told it here, but it, it fits with this. You heard of Horatio Spafford? You remember that story? You, I remember, have you heard that story? Horatio Spafford uh, and his wife Anna had four daughters. They were living pretty comfortably in Chicago back in 1871. Uh, He was a successful lawyer, also made a lot of money, land deals around Lake Michigan. He was also a very devout Christian and good friend of D.L. Moody. Everything was going great until October the 8th, 1871 on a Sunday when the Chicago Fire broke out. I've been I've gotten off the plane at O'Hare Airport. And I don't know if you've been to that terminal or not, Clint, but I've got off the plane at O'Hare Airport one time and there stood a statue of a cow. And it's supposed to be the cow kicked over the lantern that started the Chicago fire, the legend says. I don't know. But it burnt from Sunday to Tuesday. And when it was done, the statistics were devastating. Over ninety thousand people in Chicago were left homeless just wiped out. Spafford's, mo- most of his holdings was also wa- wiped out in the fire. In spite of his own loss, he and his family devoted the two years of their life helping re- rebuild Chicago and helping the families who had been devastated in the fire. Finally, after two years, they decided they was going to go on vacation to England. Their vacation they was going to go over with D.L. Moody in one of his evangelistic campaigns in England at that time. Some kind of business problem arose, Horatio had to stay back, so he sent Anna and the four daughters on a ship, and he was going to join them later on. Somewhere in the crossing, that ship, on November 22, 1873, collided with another ship, and it sank in 12 minutes. 223 people died. 73 survived. His four daughters were among the 223 that died. His wife was among the 73 that survived. Nine days later, Spafford gets a telegram and mail with two words on it, Saved Alone. He boards the next ship that was, he could get to go over and comfort his wife. And as he was crossing the Atlantic, the captain sent word to his cabin and said, We're crossing over the very spot where your four daughters perished. And it was said that Spafford sat in his cabin... In read, reading this very text, when he pinned the words to the song, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. I tell my song leader at church every time we sing that song, don't you dare. Song leaders get up sometimes and they'll sing, let's sing first, second, and fourth verse. The third verse of that song is the best one of them all. He's not allowed to do that. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord on my soul. Bad stuff is going to happen in your life. Do you have the peace of heart to be able to say? It shall be well. I'm going to have, I have absolute confidence in what God has promised. And it is well. I'm content whatever God's providence brings into my life. Amazing, amazing story.